right. Well, good to see you today. Good to see you. Look at your neighbor and say you look good. How many of you lied? Raise your hand. All right. Just kidding. Just kidding. It's always good to, uh, to be in fellowship with one another, isn't it? You know, you are a creation of God. And we evaluate people like their objects versus like their creation. Now think about that. You know, when you walk out, some trees are more attractive to you than other trees. Some trees provide different dimensions of, of value to you when you plant them and when you, you know, just kind of move through landscape and you begin to see that. But every one of them, creation of God, unique, special, and valued by him. And sometimes we, we, we get this idea that people are more like objects versus the creation. We'll be talking next week about man made in the image of God and what does that mean? We can understand making something from something that's already been made. We can assemble things. We can construct buildings and tables and cars and all those other things, but we can't create out of nothing. And as we study the Word of God, as we study the book of Genesis, we're going to to see how God has put everything together in exactly the right way. In fact, you know, God has put you together in exactly the right way. You may not feel like it at times. You might look at your life and devalue yourself. That's just a result of the fall of man. It's, It's what happened when man pulled away from God and it changed his perspective, her perspective on what's valuable and what's important. But I want you to know that God values you just the way you are and that you are special and unique and designed by the hand of God in every detail. And when you don't feel it, you need to thank him anyway. When you don't feel it, you need to affirm it anyway. When you look in the mirror and you think, you know, I don't see it, you need to affirm it anyway. And as you begin to affirm and speak life over yourself and life over creation, remember everything God did was about life in this creation. It's all about speaking life over ourselves and over one another. Let me, let me show you in this thought. God, God created you to thrive in the kingdom. God created you to thrive. Now, you know, if you look into the physical realm, You know, things thrive in that physical realm. You can have a flood come in and it doesn't take long and trees start to come back. Vegetation starts to come back. Rivers can cut their way through a new area and before long you start to see the beauty of it all. And the same things happen in your life. You know, when when we look at the physical realm and the natural realm and things begin to kind of shift a little bit and we don't understand what God is doing, I promise you that God is creating in you a new way to thrive in his kingdom. Because everything physical points to something spiritual. It's going to point to something deeper as we're going to see today. The other thing is that every detail points to his love for you. The details that God goes into in in just the plants and the creation of the world, it points to his love for you. The details that God has just created you and the way that you are so intricately made points to his love for you. The way that you're able to respond and do things, the way that God gave us thumbs so we can text, points to his love for us. Where would we be without thumbs? But also, 
We want to understand that it's all so that we can increase our expectation of what is possible. Think about this. If God can do that with creation, what can God do with you? Think about that. What can God do with you? Don't limit God. I mean, God spoke the world into existence. Don't limit God. See what God can do. Just say, God, I don't know what you can do. And maybe some of the things you're trusting God for and you're asking God for right now seem too far-fetched. They seem too much out there. They, they seem like God would never do that. Or, but don't ever limit God. God is without limit. God is all-powerful and all-knowing. And God is kind. And God is loving. And God wants to do the miraculous in your life. Well, let's take our Bibles and look at just a little section of what God has done in creation in Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. No less than seven times has God said in this section, then God said, God spoke. Let there be a firmament, and that little in the Hebrew means a beaten out expanse. In other words, when, when, when man looks into the heavens, what he sees is what looks like a a beaten out expanse with stars hanging precariously into that velvet blackness of the night, and yet they're not precarious at all. He says he put every star in its place, and he gave every one of them a name. In the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Now, the waters he's talking about are the waters in the heavens. We talked about uh, last week and, and the previous week that the, the, the content of the space is primarily water. And the ancient knew that, and they, they referred to heaven. The Hebrew word is shamaim. It means their waters. He's talking about the waters that are there separated from the waters that are here on earth. Thus he made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament for the waters that were above the firmament. And it was so. And God, God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning of the second day. Not a bad work day, bad work week for God. Amen? This is what I do in two days. And then God said, let there be lights in the firmament, to the he- in the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs. Now this is interesting because he says, I didn't put the sun and the moon and the stars there just for beauty. I had a purpose. Everything God does, he has a purpose. And that word sign there means a miracle or a warning. And then he says seasons. And seasons is not talking about, you know, winter and fall and all of that. You know, I, I uh, couldn't resist. Uh, some friends of ours live in Boston, and you've seen the snow they've been receiving lately. Aren't we happy? Aren't we thrilled? I, uh, I, when we lived on the East Coast, people always used to say, oh, I just love the seasons. I don't know how you can go to California. And so I noticed that one of the, our friends posted on Facebook and said, uh, I can't believe, are you kidding me? More snow coming to Boston? And I couldn't resist by writing and saying, I thought you loved the seasons. <laughs> and her response was, if I never see snow again, it will be too soon. And I said, and then I couldn't help but add it. We have two seasons here. We have summer and we have mild summer. <laughs> well, the seasons referred to here are not the seasons like we think of. These are actually a word that means the time within the signs. Now, we can't know the time, the exact time of Christ's return, 
But what we can know is there are some signs, and within those signs, there are some seasons that point to where we are in our world. You can watch news and get pictures of where we are in our world. This past week, we witnessed our president telling us something, a history lesson about jihad and about crusades. A seventh grade history student knows more than that. It was totally inaccurate. And yet it points to the signs and the seasons we find ourselves in. Because not only politically are there odd things happening in our world, but it points prophetically to something God is doing in our world. It points to the signs and the seasons that we find ourselves in. Our world, everyone seems to agree whether they have faith in God or don't have faith in God, is in a very odd and precarious situation. There are things that are unexplainable that don't make sense. When those things happen, you have to go to providence. God is doing something. When God is doing something in your life that doesn't always make sense, I always point the finger to providence. That is, God is up to something. Now we just have to wait and see what he's up to. And it says that, and these signs and these, the sun, the moon, and the stars, they will also be for days and for years. So we're going to mark our calendar, but remember, it's not just about the calendar God is concerned about. And it goes on to say this, let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth, and it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night, and he made the stars also. I love the way that God just kind of throws that in. Yes, I made the sun, the moon, and oh yeah, and the stars also. It's almost like, yeah, I think I'll do that as well. All right, And God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light to the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, so the evening and the morning were the fourth day. I want you to see something of the goodness of God. If you understand, if you can start with this idea, God is a good God, then you begin to see God unfolding things throughout Scripture and throughout your life that encourages you and blesses you. There's an atheist whose name is Stephen Hawking. And Stephen Hawking has some interesting developments that happened in his lifetime. As he tried to wrestle with this idea that there is no God, he had to face some things that, that sound a bit contradictory, and yet they don't feel contradictory to him. He can make statements like this, and it makes complete sense. Let me show you what he wrote. He wrote this, the odds against a universe like ours emerging out of something like the Big Bang are enormous. I think there are clearly religious implications. He went on to say it would be very difficult to explain why the universe would have begun in just this way except as the act of a God who intended to create beings like us. Now for me, if you're an atheist, that doesn't make sense. If you're a believer, it makes complete sense. But you see, what happens, even when from those who try to reject God, deny God, or ignore God, they're forced into corners that they don't know how to navigate out of. Another man by the name of Fred Coyle, he's from Cambridge, he coined the phrase Big Bang. He was the first one to say it, but later he rejected it completely. 
And here's what he said. He compared the random emergence of even the simplest cell to the likelihood that a tornado sweeping through the junkyard might assemble a Boeing 757 from the materials therein. He was an atheist. And yet he didn't know what to do with this information. Isn't it interesting that you can go to high school, you can go to college, you can go to graduate school, and you never hear this side of the story. You hear one side of the story. And there's so much that we could go on for days and days. Let me go on and and quote some more from Fred Coyle. He says, if one proceeds directly and straightforwardly in this manner, without being deflected by a fear of incurring the wrath of the scientific opinion, one arrives at the conclusion that biomaterials with their amazing measure of order must come out of intelligent design. I mean, it's there. Let's take you back to wisdom. A.W. Tozer, great theologian of his day, written some of the great books that we enjoy. He said, what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. High thoughts of God bring us into pure worship while low thoughts of God defile our hearts and corrupt our walk. What do you think about God? What is God like? You see, when you, when you ask that question and you attempt to answer it, you are being a theologian. You're processing things. You think, well, I think God is like this, or I think God is like that, or God wouldn't do this, God wouldn't do that. And it's the word of God that becomes your basis for understanding God. The goodness of God will lead you somewhere. It will lead you to appreciate the obvious. Do you ever appreciate the obvious? Just stop and think about what God has done. Do you ever stop and just take a little inventory of the obvious things? How about this? This is pretty obvious, but we don't take time to recognize it. Have you ever ever stopped to just notice that you're breathing? Unless you've had a a near-death experience, you don't value it. Even when someone else is taken from planet Earth by death, it's only then that we stop and we think how sad, but we don't appreciate the obvious inside of us. That without fail, this involuntary action of breathing is going on. It is the obvious. You see, the goodness of God will also lead you to love and appreciate the mystery of God. You know, God is so mysterious and yet so clear. That seems like a paradox, doesn't it? How can you be mysterious and be clear at the same time? And yet God is. God works in such a mysterious way. Sometimes we say, well, I don't understand why God would do that. That's mysterious. Then God comes through and you go, it was so simple. It just happened in a moment. Look what God did. It's so simple. God said, my ways are not your ways and my ways are past finding out. And sometimes we say, well, God, I wouldn't have done it that way. Of course you wouldn't have. You're not God. I'm, I'm sure there have been times where I've said, God, you know, if I were doing this, and he's, and he's saying, yes, and that we won't let that happen, I love everyone too much. Right? But you see, the goodness of God will also lead you to face difficulty with confidence. 
If I know that God is all-powerful and God is good, what it does is when I'm, when I'm confronted with something very difficult and very hard and very challenging and, and maybe even something that lacks logic in some ways because it's a mystery, what I do is I can fall back with confidence and say, I know God is for me. Now, God talked about signs in the heaven. I was walking with our little grandson, Cruz, and he was about three years old at the time, and I had been teaching him something about the stars, about how God hung the stars and the moon and the sun. And, I, and as we were walking along, I, had, I didn't realize how much he got from that. And he looked up, and he saw the sun, and he saw the moon, and the moon was pure white. You've seen those, that phenomena when the moon is just white and it hangs next to the sun in the, in the sky. And he says, Look, Papa, it's a picture, he's three years old, picture of the returning of Jesus Christ and the bride. See, that's what it is. See, the Bible says that the son is like Jesus returning, Malachi, when the son of righteousness comes with healing in his wings. And all through the scripture, the moon is a picture of the church, the bride of Christ. The Bible says one day we will be clothed in white, we will return with the King of kings and Lord of lords, Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11. You see, we have no light of our own. All of our light is dependent upon the Son. Without the Son of God, we have no light. We give nothing. We're like a dead planet. We're like a moon without life. But when the Son of righteousness shines on us, and, there, and that picture of, of seeing signs in the heaven... It's a picture of pointing us to a greater reality because God is painting on this great canvas called creation, truths about who he is. When that, when that earth finds itself aligned in between the moon, we have a lunar eclipse, and there's no light on that moon. We know what it's like when the world comes between us and the sun. You see, everything is a sign, it's a season. Everything is pointing us to a greater reality. John Lennox from Oxford University, a believer, brilliant man, teaches mathematics at Oxford. Listen to what he said. The more we get to know about our universe, the more the hypothesis that there is a creator gains in credibility as the best explanation of why we are here. C.K. Chesterton said this, you can only find truth with logic. If you have already found truth, you can only find truth with logic if you have already found truth without it. You see, when people come to this idea of God and they say, well, that doesn't make sense or that's not logical. You see, you have to have a, an encounter with God before the things of God begin to seem logical. So when I encounter Jesus, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. When I get an understanding of the direction, when I get understanding of the truth, and when I experience life from God, then logic begins to make sense. Then I, I don't ask questions like this. How could a good God do that? I don't ask that question anymore. Because you see, now I'm, I'm changing my whole perspective on life. God has a purpose. God has a plan. I may not understand it, and I may not like it. But I understand that God is up to something here. Because I start with the idea God is a good God. Not a, God is not a bad God. God is not a God who wants to do bad. 
But I began to, to walk through these truths, and I began to see things from a different perspective altogether. Now, signs, what do signs do? They reveal a spiritual truth. You see, God has established a pattern of communication. And that pattern of communication includes the sun, the moon, and the stars. It's pretty amazing. In fact, let me just take you to the book of Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2, and listen to what it says. And this is talking about the days that are to come. These are talking about end times. It says, the earthquakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon grow dark, and the stars diminish their brightness. Now there's Joel the prophet writing, and he talks about all three of those signs, the sun, the moon, and the stars. And then listen to what he goes on to say. The Lord gives a voice before his army, and his camp is very great. For strong is the one who executes his word, for the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can endure it? So I'm about the second coming of Christ. And he goes on to say this, blow the trumpet in Zion, come concentrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, the nursing babes, and then listen to this, let the bridegroom come out of his chamber. That's Jesus. See, Jesus in heaven is waiting for the return and the bride from her dressing room. You know who the bride is? That's the church. He said, what's going to precede that is you're going to see signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. Here's what I love about God. It, it says in Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10, I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. Wouldn't you like to know the God who knows the end from the beginning and can give you some insight along the journey? Wouldn't that be helpful? Wouldn't it be helpful to know that, that God says this in the Scripture, that he does nothing unless he first reveals it to his, his prophets? That God is a revealer God. God is a rewarder God. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. Do you know when you diligently seek God, he rewards you? Do you know that when you come to God that God reveals to you? That God unfolds truth to you. He, he lets things become clear to you because you've come and you've sought him out. Seek the Lord while, you, while he may be found, Scripture tells us. There is in Scripture this pattern of three. We talk about the sun, the moon, and the stars, but it doesn't end there. You see, we understand that God is a trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but he also made you in his likeness, and you are body, soul, and spirit. Would God want us to understand something about this divine mystery of this number three? He created time in past and present and future. When God wanted to, to paint on the palette of this world, he gave us three primary colors, and he said those three colors you can paint every color known to man because they have a divine nature to them. When God created that tabernacle for, for uh, uh, Moses there and showed him how to build that tabernacle, it had the holy place, the holy of holies in the outer court. And it was a direct pattern from the tabernacle that is in heaven. It's an exact pattern of your temple and your pattern within you, body, soul, and spirit. There's an outer court called our body. There is that inner court, and that's called our soul. And then there is that holy of holies, and that is called the spirit of man. That's where the Holy Spirit comes to dwell. That's where the glory of God can be felt and be can be seen. When God wanted us to get some understanding of this, the complexity and yet the simplicity of the universe, he hung the sun there. And you can take the rays of the sun, and even though there are many, many ray, different kind of rays, there are three primary rays that come out of the sun. There are those that you see. 
There are those that are invisible, and yet they affect you. And then there are those that are heat rays, and they warm you. All of that a picture of the Father, who the invisible cannot be seen, kind of ray from the sun. Then that which can be seen in light, and that's the, that's the Son of God. So the Father and the Son, and that which we feel, that's the heat rays, and you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Everything God is doing, he's doing for your benefit. You see, signs confirm the works of God. You know, we've seen signs and wonders. We've seen miracles of God in our fellowship here. You know what they do? They confirm the work of God. When someone's healed, it confirms the work of God. It points to the greatness of who God is. We need to understand that, that they also increase our faith in God. When you begin to see God move, and we were out to dinner with some friends this week, some new friends actually, and uh, as we were sitting there, they didn't know much of the story, and we began to just recount some of the works of God and some of the things that God has done in the short three years. But mainly we talked about how God has touched lives, changed lives, and both of them, you know, they're, they're, you, know you have those moments where you just kind of rub your arms, you go, wow, I just kind of feel, we call them goosebumps, Right? Why? Because the works of God confirm the word of God. If God is not working, we always ask the question, where is God? But if God is working, now you might be asking, well, I'd like God to work in my life, and that is an honorable and a good request, and you should ask it. And we've said before, get greedy for the presence of God. Long for the presence of God. Invite the presence of God into your life. They also point to God's divine plan. When you see God doing some things, you say, God has a plan here. God is up to something. What is God up to? We don't know what God is up to, but we want to be a part of it. You see, there's power. There's the power of the Word of God. The Word of God is powerful. I love this, uh, this uh, quote here. This is uh, from C. Max Planck, the Nobel Prize winning physicist considered to be the founder of quantum theory and one of the most important physicists of the 20th century. Let's see how often he gets quoted in university. Listen to what he said. There can never be any real opposition between religion and science. For the one is the complement of the other. Every serious and reflective person realizes, I think, that the religious element in his nature must be recognized and cultivated if all the powers of the human soul are to act together in perfect balance and harmony. And indeed, it was not by accident that the greatest thinkers of all ages were deeply religious souls. I remind you, Nobel Prize winning physicist, founder of the quantum theory, most important physicist of the 20th century, said it must be cultivated. It must be acknowledged. And it is only then that we really come to the full understanding of what it means to truly be human and to cultivate the soul that, that is given by God. You see, here's the truth. God's power is at your disposal. I want you to think about how big that statement is for just a moment. Don't just say, oh, yeah, that's true. No, no, I want you to think about it. He said, all power and all authority is given unto me. Now you go into the world. Now you go and you change the world. I'm calling you my representative. I'm empowering you. And so that when you look something in the face, some obstacle, you can fall back in that scripture like Mark eleven twenty four, and says, whatsoever things you believe, you shall receive. 
It's only our lack of understanding and our lack of just actualizing the faith we have that sees the hand of God do the great and wonderful things that he does. It's only by saying, well, I prayed that and I believe that and nothing happened. Well, so did you give up that easily? Did you stop that quickly? Did you not cultivate what God was doing inside your eternal soul to bring about faith? Remember, he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that what? Diligently seek him. I say to God, God, you promised you're a rewarder and I'm expecting rewards. I'm just quoting the scripture. God, you said I could ask all things. I'm going to ask all things. I'm not going to ask beyond your word. I'm going to ask according to your word. I'm going to move in the power of your word in the faith that you have. I don't have much faith. You said I didn't need much. You said all I needed was the grain of a mustard, just a little seed, and I could say unto that mountain, be moved and cast into the sea. God, I'm speaking to mountains, be cast into the sea. God, I expect them to move. You say, well, that sounds kind of bold. Yes. We are creating the image of God for boldness. Even Hebrews says, come boldly before the throne of grace. It doesn't say crawl in like a peasant. It says, come boldly before the throne of grace. God's power is at your disposal, and God's power overcomes all obstacles. Put something in the way of God's power, it moves it out of the way. Put something in your way, and you stop, and you don't know what to do, and you try to navigate around it. No, no, no. God says, let me get be your God. Let me move in your life. God's power will, and you fill in the blank. God's power will what in your life? God's power will do what in your life? Name it. Put it down there. I love where, where here's Moses, and, and Moses got ahead of God, right? He knew that God wanted him to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Egyptians, and he's back there, and he sees some, some uh, Israelite and uh, Egyptian fighting, and he ends up killing the Egyptian, and then he goes on the run for 40 years. It wasn't that he, he missed out on what God said. He missed out on the timing of what God said. He finds himself 40 years in the wilderness. He's walking by, and he sees a bush. It's on fire, not unusual in the desert to see those creosote bushes just fire up and and burn to the ground, but this one was not consumed. He stopped long enough to see the sight, and all of a sudden, the the bush began to talk. Now, when bushes begin to talk, it's one of two things. You are either totally... 